Well, I believe that every true Christ follower, to be a true Christ follower, needs to be ready and willing to take risks. Now, I make that statement this morning, and I think some of you in the room are probably like, yeah, I like this, like risks. And then others of you are like, I'm really not sure if this sermon's going a good direction already. And, and, and that's okay. Like, I know that in a room like this, there's going to be a myriad of different personalities, right? Some of us are more uh, apt, more willing to take risks. That's a part of our t- personality. We, you know, you like the rush of, of that. And then other, others of us are more conservative. If I was to try and peg myself as one of those things, I would say I probably fall more in the first camp, okay? Calculated risks, but I like taking risks from time to time. And there's a sport that I enjoy doing that I, I apologize, I use mountain biking analogies all the time, but I like to mountain bike. I like riding bikes. And when I ride, there's usually, you know, on different trails that I'm on, there's certain risks that you take, calculated risks, in, in making your way down a hairy bit of trail. There's a trail in particular I wanted to tell you about this morning. It's called Texas Pride. And you have to have somebody show you this trail because it's not on the beaten path, you know. And, and last year I had a friend show me this trail. And it's called Texas Pride because it's the pride of the mountain bikers who ride it. It's like, it's really hairy. You kind of launch onto this trail from up high and you work your way down around some rocks and there's kind of like this drop off this direction and a, a cliff here. So you're kind of just managing your way around this, some slippery rocks, limestone, and then you work your way up and down a few sections and then it just points downhill and there's several drops that are about this high and you're dropping off these things onto like rocks and roots and and you make your way down the trail. And uh, it goes on for about a mile, just really straight up and down. Very, very technical the whole way. And uh, I was riding this the other day with a friend, this trail. And it was one of those kind of wet days. So it was extra like greasy and slippery and scary. And uh, I yelled out to him in front of me. I was like, what do you think our wives would think if they could see us right now? And he's like, yeah, they'd probably freak out. And uh, that just got me to thinking, you know, why do I even do this? Like, what's, what's the point I, I was having a profound moment as I was writing, and as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, the reason I do this is because when I get out the other side, when I've, I've finished the trail, when I finish my ride, there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a, there's a sense of life, you know, and vitality. There's the adrenaline coursing through my veins, and, and, and there's this sense that, you know, wow, we just did that. That was awesome. That was a real, really enjoyable ride. Now, some of you are like, okay, you need counseling or therapy or, or some sort of help. But that's just how it is for me. There's a risk and there's a reward, right? And, and as we talk about risks this morning, as we talk about investments, I want you to see that there's, there's risks that we all take. And even if you're not you know, into taking risks per se, all of us do take risks because I believe all of us are created with a capacity to love. Let me just point out to you that you do take risk. When you, when you put your heart out for somebody to reciprocate love. You're hoping that there's a reward of love. Somebody, you know, somebody that you're close to, you know, a, a significant other or a, a child or a parent, you open your heart, you open your life to them in the hope that they will do the same and you have a loving relationship. That's a risk because that person can come along and squish your heart, you know, they can, they can deal with it in a rough manner. And so there's, even if you would say you're the most conservative person in the room today, you take risks. And so I think we can all engage with this thought and this conversation because much in the same way, there's a reward for the risks that we're called to take as Christians and to take for God. 
We're called to steward the things that he's given us. And today we're going to engage in that conversation and say, how do we risk? How do we invest the things that God has given us? We're going through this series uh, called Life on Track. The reason we're going through this series is because we're in January. And January, I don't know if you guys have realized this yet, January is always a really good time to kind of stop and evaluate what's going on in your life. Say, hey, what's been happening? How do I want to act and live in this new year that I've been gifted with, that I've been given? How do I want to use the time that, that I've been blessed with? with how am I going to use what God has put in my life? And so in, in engaging in this series, we started the first week by talking about our spiritual lives. And I think that's a great place to start because if your spiritual life isn't really in order, all the other areas really struggle to get in order, right? It's like that one piece that affects all the other pieces. The next week we talked about home life and, and the life of the family and the roles that we're, we're placed in and, and being the family, being the people that God has called us to be at home. Really great conversation. Uh, the following week, last week, we talked about work life and how God has given each of us um, places and platforms to work and how do we honor him in those places? For some of us, that's really difficult. We work in difficult work environments. We work with difficult co-workers. How do we honor God in those places, in the places that he's put us to work? And how do we rest? I think that was a good part of that conversation too. So this week, it's kind of like we've taken all the other stuff that we're called to steward. And we've called this, this message today the stewardship of life. How do we take all the other things that God has gifted us, gifted us blessed us with, and use them for his kingdom. These are the things that we're talking about. Time, this is not an exhaustive list, but time, talent, spiritual gifts, energy, personality, experiences, attitudes, material resources. How do we use all of those things to glorify God? How do we view these things that God's blessed us with, with a right, with an eternal perspective? And how do we use these things, really, to love God and love people? I mean, if that's what Jesus originally said Matthew 22 you can read about Jesus he's asked what are the most important things to do and he's told he tells them you know you're called to love God and love people how do we use the things that God's blessed us with to love God and love people well I could stand up here this morning and kind of give you my 10 quick steps to you know good stewardship my thoughts on time my thoughts on money and all that stuff. But I didn't want to do that this morning. I really wanted us for, for us to dig into God's word and say, hey, God, what would you say to us out of your word this morning? So we're going to turn to God's word, <laughs> the Bible. Excuse me, I've got some allergies and cold going on. Uh, we're going to turn to God's word and we're going to look at Matthew 25. So if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to just grab one. There should be one somewhere near you in a seat if you don't have one. But Matthew 25 is where we're going to be parked today. And just as we're getting ready to open our Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you with a quick thought. Would you be willing this morning, as you open your Bible, to really in your heart, I'm not saying to say this out loud, but in your heart say, hey God, I'm, I'm ready and willing for you to speak to me today. Because really, I want for us that to be our posture as, as we come to God's Word today. I think sometimes we just get in this rhythm of coming to church. You know, you come to church, you sing some songs. Guy gets up and speaks, then you open your Bibles. You know, I don't want us to just go through the rhythm of that today. So would you be willing to say, hey God, I'm ready and willing for you to speak to me today. Would that be your attitude as we open God's word today? That's my challenge for you. And as we do that, as you're turning to Matthew 25, as I'm doing the same thing, let me give you a couple of little background things that I think are interesting to kind of contextualize this text. The first thing 
is that we know that Jesus and his disciples were in and around Jerusalem at this time that they were having this conversation. And Jesus has just had a pretty lengthy conversation with his disciples about end times, a pretty in-depth conversation. (coughs) Excuse me. And they come out the other side of that conversation, and he uses three parables, three stories that are kind of getting more intense as they go. So you've got the first parable, second parable, which is the one we're looking at today, and then the third parable, as, and as he's trying to kind of give them some illustrations of things that are going to happen at the end times. And he jumps out of that conversation, and we can also read and find out that all of this is happening. This conversation is happening about two days before Jesus is arrested and crucified. So he's really kind of getting to the end of his ministry, to the end of his, his time with his disciples. And so we can see this is a really like vital key moment in Jesus' life, in his ministry, right? And, and the other thing just that's interesting to note is this is written by Matthew. So we know Matthew was there. Like it wasn't his like cousin's sister's brother's story about what was going on. No, it was him who was there hearing these truths, and then he wrote them down. So I I like that about this story. We know that he heard Jesus tell this story, and then he wrote it down for us to be able to read, which I I just think is really cool. So Matthew 25, verse 14, is where we're going to jump into today. It's a bit of a chunk, this story. It's it's long, but we just encourage you to use your imaginations and really get into the story as we read along. Okay, here we go. Verse 14. For it is just like a man going on a journey... He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who received one talent also approached. He said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look. You have what is yours. But his, but his master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, I told you it was a little intense, right? Uh, an, An interesting story, an interesting insight. And it's interesting to me 
that Jesus used parables so much. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or noticed that, but Jesus was a storyteller. He'd use stories all the time. I mean, obviously, even at the back of this conversation about end times, he goes into three stories just in that moment. He goes back to back to back stories. And the reason he does that, I believe, is because stories are a way, were a way for Jesus to really com- communicate truth in a way that people could get their hands around. They could get their, their hearts and their minds around the truth that he was saying when he would, would tell it in story form. The other reason I believe Jesus did that was because in stories he was able to point to the greatest story that we see in the scriptures. Now you guys may have heard myself or Nick talk about this before, but we believe, you know, the Bible is one big story that tells us about who God is and what he's done for us. And I think this story points us towards that. Really briefly, to make sure that we're all on the same page here this morning, let me give you a a really high-level overview of that story. That story is the story where we believe that God created humanity. We didn't just bang into existence. We didn't evolve into existence. But the Bible very clearly tells us that we were created by God, the intelligent designer, who set our lives and set humanity into motion. But he also gave humanity the choice to choose to rebel, to to separate ourselves from God. And we chose to try and become like God. Humans tried that. And by doing that, sin entered our world. It, It separated us from God. So we've got God and we've got humanity separated by this, this un, unreachable chasm of sin. And, and all that we could do as humans, we couldn't live perfect enough to, to get ourselves by, back into right standing with God. We were separated from him. And, and God, being God, couldn't like just say, hey, I, you know, don't worry about your sin. That's okay. I, I'm, I'm cool with that. He couldn't do that because he's holy, he's just, he's righteous. He'd not be God anymore if he did that. And so he, he started working, and this is the story of the Bible, he started working out this crazy plan. The crazy plan was to use his own son to make things right again. And so he sent his son, who was fully man, fully human. I mean, talk about a crazy miracle. Look at the story of Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus, like crazy so there's this crazy miracle where Jesus is born and uh, he comes, lives a perfect life for all of us and he dies in our place. He takes on our sin even though he was sinless himself and, and, and dies in our place. And through Jesus, he reconciles us to God fully, God, fully God, fully human, and he reconciles us back to himself. That's who Jesus is. And not only that, he's promised that he's coming back to save us. He's coming back to get rid of sin in this world. He's coming back to make all things new and right. That's the hope that we have as Christians. So that's the gospel in, in, in a nutshell. That's what it is. That's the greatest story that Jesus was pointing to with this smaller story. Make sense? So, and as we look at this story that we're looking at specifically today, there's also hidden like meaning and symbolism, of course, because he's conveying truth. So some of that symbolism is this. We, we see the sy- symbolism of Jesus being the master. And we, as people who would say that we're Christ followers, are the slaves. And God has given to each of us talents. Now, a talent didn't mean, you know, that you were like gifted with ability. A talent back in the day actually was a large sum of money. And so uh, 
this doesn't specifically mean that we're all given large sums of money. That's not what, what the parable is talking about. The, the, that money represents all the things that God has entrusted us with. Remember the things I lift, listed off earlier, your time, your abilities, your experiences, your resources, all of those things is what's been indicated here in the story. And the question that we're really, really wrestling with this month and specifically today is how are we as people who have been rescued by the master Jesus, called to live and to use those things that he's blessed us with, those talents and, and, and all those things that we've listed off. How are we called to, to use those things? So I just want for us to look at this story, look at this text today and make some observations about what God may be saying to us through it. The first thing is this. If Christ is the master and we are his servants... This parable clearly reminds us that everything we have is his. This is a good reminder for us. Everything we have is his. I don't know if you got the language in that, that story, but it says master, slave. A slave typically doesn't have anything, right? Except what happens in this story, it's kind of crazy. The master takes his, his own possessions and divides it up and gives it, gifts it, entrusts it to the slaves. And, and just as I've studied this week, uh, looking at this passage the last couple of weeks, it's been a really good reminder for me personally that everything I have is a gift from God. I don't know if you're anything like me, like I can come in here and be like, everything we have is from God. But then when it comes down to the practicality of that, like it's me, mine, you know, my money, my house, you know, my time, that's the truth, right? That's, that's what I struggle with. And so I just really quickly want to say to all of us again, and myself especially, everything we have is from God. It's a gift from God. And this parable makes that very, very clear to us. Second observation for you is this. In the kingdom that we read about here, not all are created equal. Not all are created equal. I don't know if you noticed, but those slaves were entrusted with different amounts. And that was totally okay. First slave gets five. Second gets less than half of that. He gets two. And the third slave gets half of that. He gets one. <coughs> and that was totally okay. We live in a world, we live in a culture where we're constantly comparing ourselves with the people next to us. We live in this world where we're keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we're looking next to us. What do they have? What are they doing? Why do they have that? I don't have that. I want that. You know, we live in this world where that's, that's our culture and our world. And I think this, this parable is clearly saying to us, hey, it's okay for you not to have exactly what everybody else does. You need to be content with your lot and what God has given you. You need to be faithful with what God has given to each of us. It's okay that somebody may have more possessions than you. It may be, it's okay that somebody has more gifts and abilities than you. It's okay that somebody is going to live a longer life than you, have more time than you. You need to be okay with that. Actually, as I was reading uh, this week through the, the reading plan that we're doing together as a church, I found this psalm that I really like. I, I remember this psalm um, from several years ago. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, it was kind of a, a psalm that I kept coming back to a few years ago. But uh, we read through it again this, this week in the reading plan. It's Psalm 16. I just want to read a couple of verses for you because I think this is the attitude in the heart that we should have about the things that God has entrusted us with. Psalm 16, verse 5, it says this, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines, listen to this, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have 
a beautiful inheritance. That's the heart and attitude that we should have about what God's blessed us with and given us, not this, you know, oh, I wish I had as much as, you know, such and such. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Not everybody's created equal, and that's okay. We need to be okay with that. On that thought, next observation for you is this. God's investment in us is important. Those talents, that that stuff that God has given us is important and precious to him. It's not just like a, you know, we something that we should treat carelessly or see as a small thing. No, what God has given each of us is, an impo- is a big deal. Like, that's important. I was, as I was reading on this, I read somebody's notes on this passage, and I really liked how they articulated this thought. Let me read it for you and listen to what this says. Every Christian is entrusted with some responsibility for the kingdom. Some will take this, very, this seriously and invest their lives wisely, and others will squander this responsibility The part of the kingdom entrusted to each of us is precious to the Lord. Hear this. He is hurt by the mishandling of a lifetime of opportunity, but he rejoices over a lifetime well spent. He has placed in our hands what is his own. This is a sobering thought, to be stewards of kingdom resources. Isn't that well said? Like just this thought that, what God has given us is important. It's, it's something that we should take very seriously. Okay, next thought that I just wanted to talk about was these first two slaves. I, I want to give you two thoughts on the first two slaves. First thought is this. These slaves, the first two faithful servants, set to work immediately. I don't know if you caught that in the story, but as you read the back end of verse 15, and as it goes on to 16, it tells us that the, the master went away. He went on a journey immediately. The man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. And so I just want to encourage you guys, whatever God speaks to you today, my prayer is that God would speak to you. Whatever he speaks to you today, my hope and my prayer is that you would be conscientious about uh, moving forward in the direction that he points you. If God convicts you today that you need to be a better steward in this way or that way, whatever it is, that you would you would realize that it's not for you to just be like, oh yeah, yeah, I should be a better steward. No, what we're talking about here today, hopefully, is, is something that you can say, you know, God is calling me to be a better steward in this way, starting today, like starting immediately. I really like that language that's used in this, in this uh, translation here. The second of these, uh, the thoughts that I wanted to give you about this, the first two slaves is this. They took a risk by investing, now, we already kind of touched on this when, I, when we started out. An investment is a risk. For any of you who have lived long enough, you know that, right? The, the real estate market will dip at some point. The, the stock market will and can and will crash at certain times. Any inv- investment takes a certain amount of risk. And the words that I liked that I kept seeing, seeing as I was studying was obedient risk. Now, I know those words don't typically go together, but I think in this context they really do, in that these guys were being obedient to who they felt God was calling them to be and taking a risk by investing. As I was thinking about those two words together, I got to thinking about some friends of mine a number of years ago when I was just getting into ministry, when I was a, a single guy actually, just getting into ministry, I had some friends who I looked up to and was getting to interact with. And at this time in their life, it was a really interesting time in their life because they had a very stable and secure job um, at a church. 
and it was a you know a big prosperous church doing well they had a home that you know everything kind of set up well for them life was good for them in the moment that they were in but as they were praying and seeking God in their lives they really felt like God was calling them to to go and to plant a church and and doing that was a big deal because what that meant was like leaving all that security leaving all that stuff that they were blessed with in that moment it meant risking and taking an obedient risk because what they had to do was they had to you know leave this stable church go to a church that obviously wasn't stable a church plant typically you know is on shaky ground they had to uh um fundraise money for a salary take a pay cut all that fun stuff sell their house all these things that they had to do and I got to watch them as they obediently risked for the kingdom. And it was really cool. It was great for me to just um, to, to watch them and to learn as I, as I watched them following God's call in their life and watching them steward the things that God had given them with, their time, their energy, their resources for God's kingdom. It was really cool for me to get to watch that. So I, I just really say all of that to just encourage you that that's what I think an obedient risk looks like and that's what these first two slaves did now let's talk about the third slave for a second let's make some observations about him the third slave was interesting because he claimed to know the master but it's obvious to us that he didn't look at back look back at verse 24 with me in this text it says this uh this this slave comes before the the master with his one talent and he says master i know you period like that's the end of the sentence he's like making a pretty big claim here he's like hey i know you but as you look at his actions as you look at the way that he acted and how he was he squandered what god had given him it's obvious that he didn't know the master if he'd known the the first two slaves knew the master and acted accordingly the third guy claimed to know the master but obviously did not i just wrote down in my notes here a couple of thoughts on him the first is this, the, the, the third servant hid what he'd been entrusted with and failed to real, realize any impact or gain for his master. And the, the, the second thing that I just wrote down about him is that stewardship is a heart issue. And it's obvious to us that this guy didn't know the heart of his master. We're going to come back and talk about that in a second. Last observation for you out of this text, though, before we move on to talking about that. And this is a sobering thought. God will settle his account with each of us. I don't know if you picked that up in the story, but if you read the other parables around this, it's very clear that each of us is going to have to stand before God one day and give an account, tell him why we lived the way that we did, why we spoke the way that we did, why we used the things that he'd given us the way that we, we have. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that's pretty sobering. You're talking about a holy and just God that you were standing in front of. The first two servants acted out of loving loyalty, but the third acted out of selfish fear. Good stewardship of little things brings greater privilege and responsibility. Poor stewardship leads to losing even what one has. As they're settling up their accounts, we see, you know, these first two faithful servants are rewarded for that. But the third servant has to give an account for what he's done. If you look at that word lazy that's used in that scripture to to describe this servant, it can also be translated to to literally mean shrinking or hesitating. And the tragic error with this third third servant lay in the fact 
that he allowed himself to be paralyzed by his fear. He wasn't ready or willing to risk and invest as he should have. And so I think there's an obvious question. As we come to looking at this story and having this conversation about stewardship, I think there's a really, really obvious question that's looming in the room today. And that question is this. Which slave are we? Are we investing or are we squandering what God has given us? I don't know about you, but as I've read this text a number of times these last couple of weeks, that's the question that I keep coming back to for myself. Which servant am I? Am I being faithful or am I being unfaithful? It got me to thinking about the words of a song that I really liked a number of years ago that was written by Switchfoot. Great band. They have a lot of really good lyrics to their songs. But they wrote a song and the chorus simply says, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? And I think we should be asking ourselves that as we start out this year. And maybe it would be more appropriate for us to say, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? But are you also who God is calling you to be? Are you using what he has given you and blessed you with? Now, I need to make a little, uh, little side note here. Actually, it's not a little one. It's a big side note here. I need to put a caution A red flag for you guys out here right now because there is a sermon that I do not want you to hear me preach this morning in that I don't want you to get this message and then walk out of here thinking that's what we talked about today, okay? So I need all of you to be listening really closely because it almost sounds right, but it's not right. The sermon I don't want you to hear me preach is that you can appease God if you use your time, energy, and resources for him. Do you hear that? That almost sounds right, but it's, it's actually very, very wrong. It, it's saying that you can be justified. You can be made right with God if you're a good steward. We can earn God's favor, win his approval. But the truth is, and the truth that we all need to hear today is this. You are not made right with God by your performance. You're made right with God by Jesus. And this should come as no surprise to you guys today because this is the same sermon that we preach every single week here. Jesus is the hero. He's the one who comes and saves. He's the one who rescues and redeems. He's the one who in this instance is the master who has done everything for the slaves. If you want to read between the lines on this story, if you want to plug this smaller story into the bigger story, we know that these slaves were rescued and redeemed by this master. And we know that they were motivated to be good stewards because they knew the heart of their master. They knew that the master had given absolutely everything for them. So it wasn't even a question of will I be a good steward. Their hearts were so radically changed by God and what he'd done for them. And so my my passionate plea to you guys today, and I cannot say this strong enough, my plea to myself, I include myself in this, is that would, would you reflect on God and who he is today? Because if you do that, I believe the stewardship thing makes total sense. Outside of that, it doesn't. Outside of that, you're just trying to earn God's favor and his approval or to impress somebody next to you. And that's not what stewardship is about. Stewardship is looking at God, seeing who he is and what he's done for you, and then living your life accordingly. And we make it so complicated, we get it so backwards, we get it so messed up. 
And this is why we say stewardship, bottom level, stewardship is a heart issue. If your heart is radically changed and affected by God, it won't be a question of, um, yeah, maybe I should, you know, use my time or my energy and my resources for God. No, yes, you will use that stuff. Absolutely. And what else can I do? You know, it totally changes the ball game. And so my question for you guys today is really this. Do you know the master? Do you know Jesus and who he is and what he's done for your life? If, if, if you're not a believer in this room today, if you, if you wouldn't say that, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, if you don't know if you're a believer, I just want to say we're really glad that you're here with us, engaging in a spiritual conversation. That's awesome, right? It's, it's good that you're here. But I just really want to say to you, don't hear me saying today that you should be a good steward and then God will like you. What I'm saying today is get right with God. Know who he is. Know what he's done for you. And the stewardship thing will start to fall in place. God will start convicting and working in our hearts and leading us to be good stewards. And so I just really, if you're not a believer in this room today, I really encourage you for being here and would say, hey, get yourself in the right place with God. If you want to talk to one of us as pastors about that, um, later on we'll be up the front here during prayer time or you can catch us after the service. Our elders will be up the front for some prayer time later on too. So just would encourage you to come and talk to one of us. If you are a Christ follower, if you would call yourself a Christ follower, how do you believe that God wants you to use the things this year? Let's get specific. How does he want you to use the things this year that he's placed in your life, that he has blessed you with, your time, your energy, and your resources? How does he want you to use those things? I'm challenging you right now to get specific on those. Let me give you a couple of examples and and. Again, totally not an exhaustive list when I give you these things, but just a couple of ideas. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to be a better steward of your home. Maybe he's blessed you with a place to live and he's saying, hey, whatever that looks like for you, I want you to be a better steward of that place. Open your doors to your neighbors, your friends, to your coworkers. Have them over. Let your home be a place of warmth and a place where people are pointed to life in Jesus. That would be being a good steward of that resource, that, that home that God has given you to live in. That's just one specific example. Another specific example, maybe God's asking you to be a better steward of your time. Maybe he's saying, hey, you need to really evaluate how much time you're spending at work, how much time you're spending with your family, how much time you're spending with, with those who don't know Christ. How you're spending time with, with serving, finding a place to serve and be plugged in. Shameless plug, we always need people here to serve in different places. Um, I would love to get you plugged into a team if you're not already doing that. Be a better steward of your time. Maybe it's your resources. I mean, if Christ has given us everything, if he's rescued and redeemed, redeemed us, I don't think it's a big big thought for us to say, you know, I'm going to give a percentage, a tithe of my income back to God. That's not a big deal, right? If, you, if he's given you everything and you really do truly believe that, that shouldn't, you know, I mean, for some of us, I, I'm sure that is a big deal, but I just, I'm just trying to say here today, whatever that is practically, let God speak to you and, and, and be willing to move forward with being a steward in the way that God wants you to be. Maybe it's, it's going on a mission trip. We're about to close up our registration for the Mexico mission trip. 
If you, if you want to come on a Mexico mission trip, come and see myself after the service. We'd love to get you plugged in and go. Mission trips are a great thing to go on because you have to use your time, energy, and resources to go. It's like a, you know, a three-in-one. Like, it's a great, great way to be a steward of the things that God's given you. And you'll be amazed with what it does to your heart going on one of those trips. But don't hear me just saying, hey, you need to do X or Y or Z. The main thing I want you to hear me say today is look at the master, look at Jesus, and then ask him, how do you want me to be a steward? It has to be in that order. If it's, out of, if it's backwards, it's not good. But if it's the right way, it is good. And so just on, on that thought, I want to finalize with one last story for you guys. So I told you about our friends, the, 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 my friend that I got to watch uh, go through this journey of, of planning a church. Well, about you know, several years later on, I was married at, a few years later on. We had our son, and we got a call, actually got a call from Nick, and, uh, to come up, and he said, hey, I want you to pray about coming to South Austin to help us plan a church in South Austin. And it was interesting because I found myself in a very similar situation to those friends that I told you the story of earlier. Uh, we, we were comfortable. We had family and friends there in Houston. Uh, we bought an old house and like renovated it completely to just the way we wanted. You know, like we just finished doing all of that. Uh, I'd just actually been offered a, a promotion and a pay raise at my job at, at a church. It was a very stable church, a stable job. And Nick calls us and says, hey, would you be, pray about coming and, and planning a church, investing your lives up here in, in South Austin? And I remember in that moment thinking to my friends and really asking God, hey, God, what, what do you want from us? And we felt overwhelmingly convicted that we were called to come up to South Austin. And this journey that we've been on these last couple of years has not been all easy or all rosy. But I'm, I'm standing here today to tell you that I have seen such blessing come from doing that, like from, from taking for us. And this isn't to say that we've got it all figured out. Now, God continues to challenge us how to be good stewards. But, but taking that obedient risk has been so rewarding. There's been so much joy for us in following God's plan. And as I think about that, as I think about the joy in the life that we've experienced as we've got to, got to kind of be obedient in that process... I think to, the, to what, I, what I heard Jesus say to those servants, to the faithful servants, he says, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Listen to this last bit. Share your master's joy. And I really just want to kind of finish out today by saying there is such joy in following God's plan, in, in allowing him to, to guide and direct your steps, in allowing him to lead you to take obedient risks for him. And so I just really want to stand in front of you today to say, I feel like our lives in a very small way are a testimony to that. And I hope they continue to be a testimony to that. Like I said, we continue to be challenged by how to be the stewards that God's called us to be. But in whatever way that God is calling you to be a good steward today, I just pray that you are motivated by the love of Christ. You're motivated by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And I I pray that there would be things from today that he would move you to do. Let me pray for us and I'll give us some direction.